Salutations, everyone, and welcome to another episode of How You Feeling, podcast dedicated to exploring emotional intelligence in a real and practical way. As always, I'm your host, Dr. C. I'm so happy to be here with you guys for another episode. And of course, I'm joined by our co-host, Dr. Jeff Haverland. Jeff, how are you feeling? Well, I am feeling a little less under, or I shouldn't say underwhelmed. I'm sort of underwhelmed. I'm not as overwhelmed as I was, you know, a few days ago, um, at least with this online class stuff. So that's a, a good feeling, a little more control. Um, good. So I definitely, definitely dig in that a little bit. What about you? I am very excited today. We actually, if everything is going right, by the time I get home today, our new kitchen should be completely installed. Uh, we should have a working sink, which will be fabulous. We don't have to use the bathroom sink anymore. Uh, and a dishwasher. So um, keep your fingers crossed. That's where my, where my emotions are right now is the completion of this kitchen. That's awesome. And just in time, right? And just in time. Amen. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about fear today. Um, and, you know, I, I, let's start with this. Let's try to get ourselves a definition. So Kevin, sure. if, if you had to define fear, what, what would it be? Sure. So to me, and again, I think unfortunately fear is one of those, we all sort of know it when we see it, but then when you, when you're pressed to define it and you do the, uh, uh well, you, you know what I mean, but, uh, you know, to me, fear is largely discomfort. Um, and I think, the, the context that that discomfort is in or um, the magnitude of the situation where that discomfort comes from can obviously change. But ultimately, kind of what I boil it down to, and I think back to a, a sports psychology class that I took uh, back in college, and, and the professor at the time really sort of boiled down fear to that fight, flight, or freeze reflex. Uh, and so again, based on the situation that you're in, you do one of those things. And so I've always, yeah, I've always thought of it as fight or flight. Uh, and then when I learned about the whole freeze concept, I've integrated that in, but that's how I would define it. What about you? You know, I, I, I have to agree really with the, your definition of it because it, it, it is, it has so much to do with just that unknown. People are such control addicts that it is really hard to just let everything go and be like, all right, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, it, and because, you know, you you run into people who can be so um, they can be so good at, at seeming strong or without fear, but they can do really dumb things under those constraints. And it's not always a good thing, um, you know, necessarily be without fear. But I do think when whenever we can't control it the way we want to control it, I really think that's where fear steps in um, and can do good and bad things for you. Sure. sure. You, you are darn right on the good and bad part of that. What, um, so what about, what are some common fears you think people have that, that hold them back from things? So, you know, if, if we talk about like, you know, you hear about fears of height and, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of height. I am afraid of spiders. Um, I, I don't like them. They hold me back a little bit. I'm trying to work on actually getting over those, but you know, otherwise you, I think people commonly fear failing or being embarrassed or saying something dumb. And, and I just think about how that impacts who they are and how they, they come off to other people. And so um, the thing is, is you could pretty much find fear of 
almost anything in, on the planet sure. for someone. And, you know, that's kind of the reality. It's all over the place. And it, it, it really depends on who you are and, and experiences that you've had that, that might create that, that fear in that moment. So sure. it, what, what fears am I, are, am I missing that, that you would, would say? No, I, I think you've covered a lot of them. And it's funny when you were, when you were talking about fears of, of a lot of things, um, I just watched Monsters University with uh, my wife and daughter yesterday. And there's a scene where Mike is being flashcarded on all the different phobias. And so it made me think of that because there literally is a phobia for everything. Uh, and yeah. so I think you certainly hit on all the big ones. You know, I'm trying to think of usually folks are, are afraid of of critters of some kind or Heights is a popular one. I think maybe some of the the more abstract ones are like drowning. Uh, I know there's a lot of like drowning dreams and like things like that where you feel like you're you're being held down under something. Um, yeah. But, but, what about like fear of public speaking ooh. or fear of? And let's be honest, the greatest fear for most people, and you know, people will say they. You know, so I've heard people say, well, I don't fear that. I just accept it. When you think of something like death that, you know, I don't care who you are. I struggle to find really believe anybody who says I'm not afraid of it at all. Sure. Because <laughs> that to me is so abstract. And, you know, it's a certainty, but that doesn't mean it's any more concrete sure. in, in terms of understanding it. No, you're, you're, you're right. You're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So that list that we just sort of gave. I, I imagine if we wanted to like break them into groups, we could break them into sort of things that could happen and things that have very, very small probabilities of happening. So, you know, like rational fears that we should really sort of look out for uh, and maybe irrational fears. But what are, what, what, what's one irrational fear that you have? What's one irrational fear that you have? I think my greatest irrational fear um is spiders um i (laughs) and actually i said before i'm trying to find my way over that or past that and so i'm slowly like finding spiders and holding spiders um and the problem is is it quite literally could bite me because if i do get bit i don't know that i'm going to be able to handle like handle that setback and then trust the process again and sure um but really, most of the spiders around here, they're not. I mean, we have a couple dangerous ones as it gets hotter. But, um, you know, it's it's not like most of them are out to hunt me. But, you know, you think you hear when you grow up, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, you know, while you sleep, you eat all of these spiders. <laughs> and, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I, to me, that is just so crazy. But when people say stuff like that it really kind of messes with me. And so um, I'm trying to work on it. But that to me is a very irrational fear when I could grab any snake anywhere without even a second thought and wow. they're bigger and can actually bite harder. So I don't know what the answer is, but but that would be one of mine. So sure. so what is your irrational fear? Well, I tell you, I was, I was trying to think of that leading into today's talk. And something last night that, that that walked through my yard has now caused me a very irrational fear as I'm pretty sure that a bobcat came walking through my yard yesterday. Um, Now, of course I had a wall between me and it, so I wasn't really worried, but I was encouraged by my wife to go like shoo it away. 
And immediately <laughs> I just saw like my face being clawed off. And I was like, no, I, that's okay. I'll let, I'll let the Bobcat do what it needs to do. Um, <laughs> so I think I've just added Bobcat attacks to my list of irrational fears. Yeah. And you know, I'll tell you, I, we, we own a dog. I know you own dogs as well. Um, one of the things that I've always told my kids is, you know, if they were home alone and they called and said, I'm scared, I'd be like, okay, look at Corky. What's she doing? Well, Corky's sleeping. I said, there's nothing happening then. Everything is good because, you know, dogs are funny that way. And I bring this up because this morning I'm sitting in my kitchen doing work and our dog growled and barked in a way that I haven't ever heard her do in the 15 or 13 years we've owned her. Um, and it scared the crap out of me. Like wow. my, I just was immediately on edge because I'd never heard this tone. And I thought, holy cow, something's outside. So, you know, then I look out the windows, nothing there. I go outside. There's nothing in the whole neighborhood. So um, I'm not exactly sure what spooked our dog, um, but it sure did a number on me. So, um, but I, I think it's, I, it seems a weird thing to relate to, but but I, I think animals are really good sometimes of sensing what's right and wrong in the world. Sure. Um, furry animals. Um, human animals, we're not so good at that no. sometimes. But, um, and so it, it was just an thing that happened this morning that just really fits in um, with this conversation about fear. That, again, it's that, okay, what was that noise? You know, well, I don't, I don't mean to add to that list of fears, Jeff, but do do dogs have any sort of like, like ghostly uh, uh -huh. detection systems like i, I don't uh -huh. I, I don't know you know I, yeah that's exactly what i was thinking so but, <laughs> when there's no physical know, evidence yeah the only thing i would go to is some sort of spirit floating around your house absolutely but you know even when you're you know at night my wife i think very purposely makes me uh, sleep closest to the door sure because i think she truly believes and she might deny it but i think she believes that if somebody comes through that door <laughs> she'll have time to react you know while they're killing me so. right well right right well at least you know that you're you're worth at least the bait value of uh <laughs> yeah or it's the whole go downstairs I, what was that noise go check why don't you go check oh, you know? exactly you know, you, you've got two legs yeah exactly <laughs> anyway so i sort of got us off track no that's okay <laughs> but hey real quick because I, I know that this is probably on the minds of a lot of our listeners how are you personally dealing with the fear of, of this virus and this, this health scare that we're currently experiencing? You know, I'm trying to be, as a biologist, I'm trying to be very rational about it. I'm, I pay a lot, I pay attention to a lot of the data um, and, you know, just the epidemiology and how it's working and the things that people are doing. And, and I'm just doing my best to abide by those rules but like today knowing that i have to go out to the grocery store because we it's time to restock the house and not hoard the house but restock it you know that i need to go out and about and so when you're out and about that's when i really start to feel that fear kick in in fact my dad told me the other day he was out grocery shopping and my dad and mom are in their mid-70s um and he was out grocery shopping and he at one point looked at my mom and said, I can't do this. I need to go to the car because to him, there was just danger everywhere in this because of his age and how everybody is telling him that, you know, older people are are more likely to die from this. And so, you know, I do my best 
to know the science behind it that's helping me. But I have those moments where I need people in my life to be able to help kind of talk me down from the cliff because you watch the, the news for five minutes and you can amp yourself up so bad. You, you don't even want to like, like stand up from the couch because you're of the fear of what could possibly get you at that point. And sure. so, and I think that's where a lot of people are right now. We flip on the news in the morning and hear about doom and gloom and we go to bed to doom and gloom at night. And, and so it, it has really helped to try to re, um, reconfigure my life, so to speak, around this whole, um, and it's not even a quarantine, but we'll call it that, um, you know, this whole idea that we're stuck at home. And so now I help get rid of any fears by just doing things that are new. They're part of my new normal. Going hiking, doing whatever, knowing that I, I do it with my family, period. Sure. Um, but there is a lot of fear. And I, I don't know. I look at my parents. I look at my wife's parents. Um, and they're scared. And then I see other people who will just walk in your house. Uh, hi, you know, this, and I'm ready to like blast. Them, get out of my house, you know, and, sure. and I, I love these, really, but, but now. And they. What I, why oh, I try so hard to figure out about this disease. And then I think, Oh, now I'm susceptible. So, sure. You know, even though I feel like I'm really in a good place most of the time, like every other human being, you slide to some funny places when when, you know, somebody breaks that routine. And that with this current virus, this current pandemic, that's just it. It's yeah. everybody's got to play by the same rules or it doesn't work. Sure. So so now that I crawl down off my soapbox, what about you? How are you dealing with all of this? Yeah, I, I well, with with a baby on the way and a little one at home, you know, certainly we were perhaps more confident in our in our control of it because as of like a week ago, you know, most of the the victims were forty plus, uh, and then you know, just out of Illinois a couple of days ago, a, a child passed away from the disease, and so certainly that that woke us up a little bit to okay, maybe now kids are not as susceptible as, as the medical knowledge thought they were. And so I think um, we've been wrestling with, you know, wanting to protect our kids more than maybe even ourselves, because, you know, that's scary for, for beings that can't even effectively communicate to, to have to deal with something like that. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I'm trying very hard to, to not click on the clickbait on Facebook and, trying to, to go to the trusted news sources for sort of updates, because I think, you know, it, it doesn't take much for hysteria to set in and, and people to panic. And so, you know, we have some fam uh, some of my wife's family are, are healthcare professionals as well. And so they've been sort of keeping us in the loop too. So I think, I think information, but the right kind of information is helping to keep us, uh, you know, on steady ground. But I, I agree. I think, you know, it wouldn't take it wouldn't take too many news stories of credible backing to send entire parts of the country into an even deeper tailspin. And so I'm just trying to do what I can to, um, you know, keep our environment safe and and, and help my wife to feel uh, safe in our environment and and hope that in the near future here we'll get the all clear and we can you know emerge out from our burrows and and get back to sort of old normal, not new normal. 
Yeah. And you, you brought up a really good thing at that, your final kind of point there with, you know, with your wife, and then you brought up your kids as well. Same for me and how, you know, tell me about the pressure of maintaining your own grasp on fear when you have people looking to you who are, who are frightened or who just really need you to be a rock when sometimes you don't feel like being that rock. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. And I think it's certainly one that I wrestle with probably daily because I I do very much try to be that um, because I think um, as a healthcare professional, my, my wife suffers from perhaps paralysis by analysis. Like she just knows too much. She knows what the inside is going on and, you know, gets regular communications from her people in the healthcare system as well. And so, you know, I, I think I just try, I try really hard just to sort of be the, the, the assuring voice of not necessarily not, you know, I don't, I don't want to be obtuse to the macro environment, but just to sort of bring it back to what we're doing to do our part and, and kind of how we've been trying to make sure that our environment remains clean and, and we're not taking unnecessary risks. Um, and I try to, to, to localize it um, for my family, because I think if you let your brain go beyond sort of your local setting, that's when I think a lot of that craziness can set in. Um, I know I read an article not too long ago that, that talked about grounding um, and, and different ways that, that humans can sort of ground themselves back to reality and out of that irrational headspace. And so I, I myself have tried to practice things like that with sort of getting in touch with things that I know are real. And uh, maybe that's a phone call to, to my mom or dad or, or Tegan's mom or dad. Um, something that just we know to be stable and real that we could just reach out to and sort of anchor ourselves to. And I've found that that's helped me so far. Um, and it allows me to sort of continue to, to be strong when... Um, when my wife, um, you know, sort of need, needs something to lean on to. Okay. So, um, and that is a really, really good summation of that. I, you know, I'm from a, an odd experience the other day, we were talking to our kids and I shouldn't say odd, it's probably everybody's normal, but we were talking to them about our, you know, about this whole pandemic and our concerns. And, but we've always kind of beat around the bush and we, we told our kids, we said, okay, so we need to have a real conversation. So you need to tell us what, what you fear or what you need. And one of the things that they told us is we need honesty. We need you to truly be honest about how you feel and about what concerns you because you can't expect us to know what to do if you're not even telling us what what you're thinking and you know that was kind of a a really pivotal moment that sometimes we do when you think about kids we do withhold information because we think it will be too much and maybe it would be and it all depends on the age but you know sometimes we generate even more fear when we we aren't open to being truthful about what's really on our mind and that you know, and I think back when I, as a child, when you're, you knew adults were having conversations that you weren't privy to, and you knew something was wrong, but they never, they didn't let you in. It really could, it could really impact your, your emotional state. And then, you know, think back to 9-11. I don't know where you were in 9 Oh, I remember exactly where I was. And think of that fear put on you. 
because of that, because we didn't know what to do. I had a classroom full of seventh graders and I saw it happen. I sat down to take attendance. I saw the plane hit. And then I looked out at them and I thought, oh my God, how do I even, how do I go on? But you know, when people are looking at you, you kind of put on your big boy pants, you know, you stand up and you go back at it. But but we kept so much from kids at that time that kids used to tell me it stresses us out that nobody will really tell us what's happening. Sure. But I don't think we necessarily knew how to go about it. And it scared us enough that we figured if we can't handle it, I don't know how a kid's going to handle it. But sure. But yeah, so that. Yeah. So where were you on 9-11 out of curiosity? Uh, yeah, I was in the library. I was a junior in high school and I was in the library. We had one of our like media services sessions. And the library always sort of had the TV on on the news anyway. And so, of course, every news station in the country immediately broke to that feed after the first plane hit. And I think what really, really like and I'm even getting tingly thinking about it, what really got to me is that all my family, all my my extended family lives in New York. And so uh, and my uncle at the time was working in the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I had that pit of the stomach feeling of holy crap, like, like, uh, is Uncle Jim okay? Like, how do I get a phone call out? Because, you know, cell phones were were still like just sort of coming out, like for wide ranging use. And I can remember it was a, I think it was a, the Nokia 6120 that I had. And like, you couldn't, you couldn't even really text because you had to hit the number like 12 times just to get the letter that you wanted. <laughs> and I, I think, and again, I, I don't know this as a fact, but I think I probably got one of the last calls through to my grandmother before like New York kind of went on telecommunication lockdown and, and found out that my uncle was actually in Connecticut on business that day and was nowhere near downtown New York. Um, and so I think once I found out that uncle Jim was okay, you know, I took a huge, huge, huge deep breath because, um, you know, I, I had someone personally that, that could have been very affected by that. So, um, so yeah, I, I will never, ever, ever forget that moment. Huh? Yeah. So really fear, Fear is a life-changing event, you know, it, it, not even, I guess, maybe not an event, it is a, a kind of an outcome of events sometimes, and then, of course, leading into what we don't know, and I think if people sat down long enough, you could think of just tons of times where, where fear, good or bad, really, really pushed you in a, at a pivotal moment. Indeed. Indeed. Well, hey, let me ask you, and, and, and I think this will be a small pivot, but you were talking about the conversation you had with your kids, uh, both real time yesterday and, and back when you were chatting with your seventh graders. Um, but like w w the thing that's been popping in my head right now, and I think we, we can pivot to that, is that whole idea of like fear of failure and fear of success. And so it sounds like in those talks with your kids, to me, that sounds like a fear of failure. Like, like, what if I give them the wrong information or not enough information and now they're not prepared sort of thing? So yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about either fear of failure or fear of success? Either way. Um, and then we can kind of flesh out whatever doesn't get talked about when you're done. Okay. So, um, and I'll hit, I can hit on them both and then I'm going to send that ball right back over to you. So, um, so yes, with parenting, I live it's every single day of my life on that fear of failure that what I do to my kids will mess them up somehow. Um, and that if I react too strongly, that 
it will push them into higher anxiety or to a place where they're paranoid or where they're not good people or they make terrible judgments. And so I do find myself a lot, you know, I, and I jokingly will say winning dad of the year, minute by minute and losing it minute by minute. I'm afraid of not being the right dad and not sending the right message. And, you know, so that is my biggest point of fear of failure. Yes. You know, it really, it really didn't start. And you and I have talked a lot about this whole imposter syndrome idea. Um, And it really didn't, the fear of success really didn't hit me until I was finishing my dissertation and um, really started to um, cue in on um, how people didn't necessarily, you know, if a PhD is one thing, one thing and EDD is another thing. And um, I started to feel like people weren't going to respect who I was. And then because of that fear, I found myself kind of sitting back on my heels that, you know, I should let the PhD in the room speak because I don't want to overstep. And, and I'll be honest, in the last couple of years since coming to UD, I have completely changed that mindset. I actually don't care at all. Um, if people think my degree is subpar to theirs, I, I truly believe in what I can bring to the table. And yet at times I still find myself like I'm going to publish something, but what if somebody finds something wrong with it? And then I'll look stupid and then the, I can take it back to maybe I should have gotten a PhD and not, you know, it, it becomes so irrational. Sure. So it's so oddly humorous in how that works. But so those would be my two. What about you? Failure and success? Yeah, I, I think Certainly, uh, I could go down that rabbit hole in several different directions, but I think professionally, um, well, and, and also because I'll speak to the fear of failure from the kid perspective, you know, my, my daughter is not, not quite old enough that I'm, I'm focusing on that fear yet, but I imagine the time will come pretty soon. Um, but, you know, my big fear of failure as an educator is kind of once we send our students off, not even the ultimate graduation, but just like at the end of each class or the end of each semester, like did I do everything that I could to help prepare them for what they're going to need next? And I think that's something that I focus probably more energy on it than maybe I should. Um, But, but I am always, always concerned that, that I'm doing enough for them so that when they start applying for jobs or put their resume together, that, that they're going to be able to represent themselves well, based on what they were able to take from what I said. And so I know that's a big fear of failure point for me. Uh, and then the fear of success. And I think you kind of were, were hitting on it a little bit, but I know um, I was, I, you know, I, that imposter syndrome is so funny that, you know, it, when, when you're doing things without feedback or sort of without evaluation, I don't think anybody feels that imposter syndrome. And it isn't until they offer themselves up for evaluation, like, you know, applying for promotion or, you know, applying for a grant or something like that, where the second you hit send, you immediately dovetail into the, well, <laughs> well, did I, did I fill out part four long enough? Or did I, did I, did I put enough in part three? And like, you immediately go into that, that, well, what if I get it? What am I supposed to do then? Um, and then, and then, because I think part of it too, is if you do get the promotion or the grant or the, um, you know, the whatever that you're trying to earn. Well, now, once you get that status, what what happens to the expectations? 
And I think sometimes we can be crippled by new expectations of us when I would imagine if we really looked at it, we're already doing all of those things already. And like, hey, take a deep breath. Um, But that doesn't mean that in the moment we're not freaking out because, you know, well, what if person A and person B really like it, but person C doesn't? And and how do I convince person C and, you know, that sort of rabbit hole. So um, those would be, be things that I've been focusing on lately. All right. So what are you? Oh, good, good. Nope, it's all you. Well, I was just going to say. So you know, we've we've been chatting a bit about fears and different types of fear. But if if you could eliminate fear from your system, would you? Like, is fear necessary and part of our life? Or if you could get rid of it, would you? No. So for me, I would never. I would never get rid of fear. Yes, there are times that fear can be overwhelming, but. You know, I love roller coasters and I love haunted houses and I love um, exploring and seeing, you know, engaging with other creatures, you know, and and so gives me that that kind of excitement or that rush to do it. I think I temper fear well, though, in that I'm not, um, you know, I, I have limits in everything I do like like everyone does. But, you know fear keeps you on your toes and it keeps you alert. And I, I think, you know, if you went through life numb and did not have that fear, the, the potential harm you could do to yourself or others is, is really just, it, it weighs because you, you know, it, so for me, it's a, I love fear because it, it helps me to anticipate and it gives me sometimes good anxiety and of course, bad anxiety. Um, but it it offers something to you. And at the very base of your biology, fear is the thing that will keep you breathing longer than somebody else who may not have it or may not um, respond to it appropriately. Sure. So sure, where do you well, think? Yeah, I, well, I, I think, yeah, I would agree with you uh, that the fear is most definitely necessary. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things that, either helps you set limits or helps you push limits. And, and, you know, I, I, I imagine that there are people that could say, well, I just, I don't feel fear like uh, nothing scares me, but you know, I wonder on some level if they're, you know, what their self-awareness is like, I, I would, I would question that a, a little bit, but no, for me, I don't know that I would ever want to get rid of it because I think I try to approach fear from the, you know, well, well, what lies beyond the next hill? Like, why, why wouldn't I seek out that new opportunity or go for that new training or, or, or take that enhancement class um, for what doors it could open, not only for me, but for the people that, that look to me for support and guidance. So um, typically I try to frame fear as, as a motivator. Um, and so to not have that, you know, I, I could very well sort of fall into a rut and I don't know that I want to be in a rut. So. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, I'm trying to figure out um, if so, maybe it's time to talk about how you feel when fear hits you. Sure. So so how about you start this off? So if you think about it and something really does spook you, you're scared or you're nervous, what happens in your body? Like, what are your telltale signs that something Something's not all that right. Sure. Uh, so I know for me, the two or three things that that I always feel when I'm afraid of something, I always get that like tingly feeling 
that just sort of starts like at your neck and runs all the way down to your feet. Uh, and that's, that's always a sort of an early warning sign. Um, I know that, that my forehead will start to sweat, like, especially in like haunted house scenarios or, or like things that go bump in the night type scenarios. I know that I'll start to sort of sweat from my forehead. Excuse me. And then, um, you know, another thing that I, that I know that I feel is like either like increased heart rate or sort of that, like your heart actually like stopped for a second where you kind of like suck in air and you're like, wait a minute, what, what that, that doesn't feel right. Uh, and so I know for me, that's when I know that I'm in, in a, in a, in a truly fear situation where, um, those things start happening to my body. What about you? So for me, that tingling, that, that hair on the back of your neck standing up is probably one of my, my instant reactions when something seems off. Um, I find, you know, you, you think like your heart rate, as you said, you know, I can feel that just immediately amp up and you can almost hear it in your ears, you know, and, and you can, you almost, it's almost like if people were looking at you, they'd see everything pulsing in your body because it gets so intense and then I get this very anxious feeling in my stomach, which makes me incredibly aware of my surroundings. So at that point, you know, stranger danger goes up and I'm I'm starting to look around and take everything in and figure out, you know, what isn't right with the, the situation that I'm in. And so um, that's really for me, I think it's kicking in my fight or flight pretty heavily at that point. Well, that sounds, yeah, that sounds a little like me. Yeah. So, okay. So what? So now here we are, we've, we've covered fear pretty extensively, I think. So if you had to boil it down to one or two things, what would it be for you? For me, for me, fear is about the unknown and fear, you, you know, you can't, it sounds really kind of dumb to say it out loud now, but you can't fear fear. Fear can be good and fear can be bad. It, it's that unknown that sure. that kind of keeps us going but i do believe biologically it really is another thing that keeps us alive it keeps yeah. us on our toes and experiencing life so sure. what would you sum it up as yeah you know and, and I've, I've tried to tried to be a very active listener as, as you've been talking because i think you brought up a lot of good points and to me like i feel like i boil fear down to choice right so like we're presented with a situation and we can either run from it we can stick our head in the sand and hope that whatever is there is going to go away or we can choose to to face it head on and kind of see where we can grow from it uh and so i think you know that that to me that that idea of choice and and willing to sort of embrace the fear um has been kind of where i've boiled it down to and i, I would thank you for helping open my eyes to some of that because i think some of the comments you made sort of helped direct me in that way so well, good. I'm glad that I am sitting here. I'm like, is he telling me I'm talking too much at this point? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> okay. So while we go to end or round out this, this uh, podcast, yep. what should we leave with our audience? Sure. So what, what I would love to hear from our audience is a, tell us something that you fear and it can be rational or irrational. And, and heck, if you want to share one of each, that would be lovely. Um, and give us some strategies or, or some ways that you've learned to help reduce those feelings of fear. Uh, because I think, unfortunately, um, 
the strategies we take, I think, are very personal. Uh, and certainly there is not a, well, just do this because this book said that. And I don't think there's a one size fits all for fear management. And so rather than us give you a big, long laundry list, we want to know what sort of things work for you when, you when you encounter a fearful situation. And so remember that you can send that feedback to our our podcast email address, howyoufeelingpodcast at gmail.com. How, the letter U, feeling podcast at gmail.com. And I'm happy to announce you can even send some feedback to our new Twitter handle. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at H-U-F podcast. Uh, once again, that's H-U-F podcast. And we would love to interact with you on Twitter. Uh, we will follow you back if you follow us. And we'd love to start building our audience uh, on social media that way, too. So, Jeff, if people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do it? <laughs> they can follow me at Haverland J. And how about you? And they can find me at KP Katani. And like I said, we love chatting emotional intelligence. Uh, here on the, the the couple days eve of WrestleMania, I certainly love talking wrestling too, so reach out to me about that. But uh, certainly we would love to hear your thoughts on fear. Any final thoughts from you, Jeff, before we sign off? No, I, you know, embrace the fear for the good or the bad and use it to your benefit. I think that that's a good way to leave things. I, I agree. I agree. And so, folks, we thank you so, so much for listening today. Uh, we want to encourage you to go subscribe or follow or like, however the systems allow, on either Spotify or Anchor FM. Uh, and we would appreciate those, those follows because that helps for us to grow our audience and, and keep delivering great content. Uh, and I, I won't spoil it uh, ahead of time, but I would tell our listeners to be on the lookout for a new bonus episode next week. I think uh, Jeff and I have a good idea uh, cooking up for that. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, and so on behalf of Dr. Jeff Haverland, I'm your host, Dr. C. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of How You Feeling. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you again. <laughs>